Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Gin and Justice. Justice. Hey, I'm Justine. And I'm Amanda. Welcome to another Legal Brief with Jin and Justice and Amanda. This week I have two criminal justice stories for you. Oh boy. Um, They are not good. Oh, I'm scared. (laughs) So both of them naturally has a hero because every story has a hero. Do you want to hear the story about the doctor hero first or the detective hero? doctor all right so this first story that i'm gonna tell you um involves one of our favorite organizations the hawaiian innocence project well the innocence project in general but the hawaiian Mm -hmm. one is who represents the person i'm going to be talking about today and i'm going to be talking about joshua spreesterbach and i really hope i said his last name correctly (laughs) uh joshua spreesterbach out of hawaii say that 10 times fast Right. So Joshua Spreesterbach was living in Hawaii. He was homeless and he also suffered from some mental illness, um, potentially schizophrenia, um, although that doesn't really matter in this story at all. And in Hawaii, they have these shelters, homeless shelters that, much like the ones that I'm aware of in Florida, don't open until a certain time. And so... Mr. Spreesterbach was waiting outside of the shelter and fell asleep in the Hawaiian heat. And he was awoken from his sleep by a police officer. And this officer believed him to look like somebody who the officer knew to have a warrant, Thomas Castleberry. Okay. (laughs) So... Uh, Upon awaking him, Mr. Spreesterbach thought he was being arrested for breaking the no sleeping on the sidewalk ordinance, which we have plenty of those Mm -hmm. in Florida, so that makes sense. So that's what he thought he was being arrested for. The officer was calling him Thomas Castleberry, and he said, that's not my name. I am Joshua Spreesterbach, and gave him his date of birth. so alarmed right now because... It's about the Innocence Project, so I know where this is going. Yeah. So, tells him, no, my name is Joshua Spreesterbach, and this is my date of birth, and this is my social security number. Officer says, yeah, yeah, you're coming with me, because he believed him to be Thomas Castleberry, which, let me just take a little side journey to Thomas Castleberry. Thomas Castleberry had a warrant out for a violation of parole for drug offenses. Okay. So there's that. Can you hear my eyes roll? So (laughs) he had a a violation of probation warrant, violation of parole warrant for drug narcotics offenses, which they didn't specifically state what those were, but I imagine they're not anything serious that we need to be prosecuting people for. So anyways, (laughs) so officer brings him back to the station, Mr. Spreesterbuck, and books him in under Thomas Castleberry. And... Luckily, 
you know, police, they have these databases. This is in 2017. So, you know, they have technological databases. They have any... Mr. Castleberry had a long record in Hawaii, too, by the way. So he'd been arrested many times. He had a lot of booking photos, a lot of fingerprint Mm. sets. So the officer, right? Oh, my God. He checks all of that, right? No. No, he doesn't. Oh, my God. No. So he does not compare Mr. Spreesterbach's fingerprints to the fingerprints that were in the database under Mr. Castleberry, and he doesn't compare the booking photos. He just throws them in under Mr. Castleberry. (laughs) So he didn't even look at the pictures. Correct. Unless he has the issue that I have with the facial recognition disorder, and he just... Yeah, but when you're looking at two pictures side by side, you can tell a difference. I mean, I can relate, but also I didn't go to law enforcement. And I also know I would be a terrible crime victim because I probably would not be able to... Pick somebody out of a lineup, but you could definitely tell if two people are different sitting next to each other in a lineup. I mean, I'm sure, but if not, the fingerprints, right? Right. The fingerprints. So, or maybe grab another officer. I don't know. Hey, I booked this It sounds guy. like he didn't look into it at all. Correct. Okay. So that's basically what happened. So, Mr. Spreesterbach is explaining his real identity, and nobody's listening to him. So he finally gets brought to arraignment, where he is appointed an attorney. Thank goodness for Mr. Spreesterbach, he's appointed an attorney. He has his first meeting with his attorney. He says, hey, I don't know who this Thomas Castleberry person is. But I am not him. I am Joshua Spreesterbach. This is my date of birth. This is where I was born. This is my social security number. So his attorney says, Judge, uh, I don't believe he's competent to stand trial. We need him evaluated by multiple doctors. He doesn't know who he is. Why would nobody just look into his claim of being somebody else? Right. So three doctors, as per practice, as you may remember from the mental insanity and incompetence legal brief, mm-hmm. three doctors did evaluate Mr. Spreesterbach, and each doctor, he told his story that, hey, I am not this Thomas Castleberry person. I am Joshua Spreesterbach. This is my date of birth. This is my social security number. This is where I was born. And all of the doctors says, okay, he is not capable of assisting in his own defense because he doesn't even know his own identity uh he meets the criteria for the state hospital so he goes to the state hospital where he is what a complete and utter failure on like every level right so he goes to the state hospital and while he's there the job of the state hospital when somebody is incompetent to proceed is to try and get this person competent again um including restoration training where they're kind of trained on the role of the core and, you know, the role of all of the people in the core, different charges, all that thing, as well as being medicated mm-hmm. or brought to uh, competence, essentially. So he is brought to the state hospital where he is required to go to these um, drug classes as well because Mr. Castleberry oh did God. have a long-standing <laughs> drug problem, so they thought... It would be helpful for him to go to, like, group therapy Mm -hmm. in the drug classes, even though Mr. Spreesterbach has never used an illicit drug in his life. So the more he protests his innocence and says his identity, the more heavily they medicate him. Oh, my God. So they medicate him with these medicines that are basically causing him to drool and be catatonic. Oh, my God. And he is still telling them that he is Joshua Spreesterbach and he is not Thomas Castleberry. What a fucking nightmare. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, this is the stuff oh. that nightmares are made out of. I'm thinking of several horror movies that have something 
similar, uh, you know, as the plot, but this is real life. This is a real person that this happened to. So this goes on for several years um, until here comes the hero in the story. He gets another psychiatrist and he tells that psychiatrist. He does a simple Google search of this man and finds him. He, <laughs> well, actually, uh, the psychiatrist just went to the records where this uh, gentleman says that he was born and he pulls his birth certificate and then tries to contact the attorney. Doesn't get a response. So then he starts contacting the DA, the judge, the hospital, the court system. And then, without telling Mr. Spreesterbach what's going on, the hospital just quietly releases him with 50 cents and an ID, uh, I believe with Mr. Castleberry's name on it, just a hospital ID, and um, they don't tell him anything. So, meanwhile, going back to Mr. Castleberry, if that officer that didn't check the fingerprints or the booking photo would have looked further, he would have realized that Mr. Castleberry was in custody in Alaska this Shut whole the time. Fuck up. Are you serious? And he is not due to get out until 2022. So, which, by the way, that is also in the systems. We can see if people are in custody elsewhere <laughs> on a warrant. So. There's that. Now, Mr. Spreesterbach has been released, but his name is still AKA associated with Thomas Castleberry. And Thomas Castleberry still has a warrant for the state of Hawaii. So Mr. Spreesterbach has moved in with his sister in the state of Vermont. But according to her and her statements to different news outlets, uh, he's terrified to leave the home. He's afraid if he leaves the home that he's going to be picked up on a warrant for Mr. Castleberry because they've never disassociated his name. They've never dismissed the charges. They've never vacated the arrest. So the Hawaiian Innocence Project is working towards vacating his original arrest um, and basically clearing his name from any association with Thomas Castleberry. And the DA's office has no comment. The police department has no comment. The attorney's office has no comment and the attorney general says they will look into it how how does one sue the state of hawaii right so he was just released so it's still a process like how recent he was released in i want to say january of 2021 wow yeah thank goodness for that doctor can you imagine trying to tell somebody hey that's not my name. This is my name. And they're like, okay, that person's still crazy. And then injecting you with these drugs that make you can't walk, drool, and you still know it's exactly literally what's going on. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And let's not even, like, why do we have this violation of parole warrant out for who knows how long for this guy on drug charges? <laughs> and just the incompetence. It's just, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you could literally find anybody you want with the internet these days. Right. Like a, a Google search. Yeah, because this happened in 2017 was the original right. arrest. Wow. I'm scared to hear the next one. So the next one is bad as well. Um, maybe not so much as what nightmares are made out of. Probably for this guy, though. <laughs> God. So this next story that I'm going to tell you is about Paul Shane Garrett. And this is out of Tennessee. 
And this story, I think, is important to highlight the importance of what is what Tennessee has. I don't know about every district attorney's office, but this particular one, based out of Nashville, has a conviction review unit in the district attorney's office. That sounds like something that everybody should have. I agree. So I didn't even know that was a thing. And hmm. so this just really highlights the importance of it. So back in 2000, uh, Mr. Garrett was charged with the murder of a woman in around Nashville. And he was basically, he ended up taking a plea deal. Essentially, the prosecutors and the detectives said that he confessed to it and that his DNA was at the scene. And so the frustrating part is at the time that he was being prosecuted before he was convicted, before he took this plea deal, the detectives that were working the case actually knew that the DNA found on the victim and at the scene did not match Mr. Garrett. They knew that at the time that he was being prosecuted. And they (sighs) knew that at the time that they were interviewing him and he ultimately took a plea deal. So... They knew that. They knew that the DNA didn't match. The police knew? The police knew. This this is why people don't trust the police. Right. So, like, so wait, 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 but there's a hero <laughs> officer in the story. I promise. And not that there should have to be heroes in these situations. Like, they should right. just be done right the first time. Right. But if not for these particular characters in these stories that are real life stories. Mm-hmm. So, in 2000, when this guy took a plea deal, um, they did know that the DNA did not match him. The DNA that was found at the scene and on the victim. How do you live with that? So then in 2004, the TBI, which is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, um, they're basically statewide. They're like a statewide FBI, essentially. Mm -hmm. every I believe every state has one or something equivalent. They actually identified the DNA to a Calvin Atchison. And in 2004, they tell the DA's office that the DNA came back, that was found on the victim and at the scene, actually came back to a Calvin Atchison. So they knew in 2000 that it didn't match. Now in 2004, they have a match. And it is not Mr. Garrett, who at this point is, is already serving a prison sentence. So the DA's office, not only did they not try and pursue charges against Mr. Atchison, but they also didn't do anything with the information and they did not try and clear Mr. Garrett's name. So fast forward to 2011. So Mr. Garrett's been in custody for, I don't know, by my math, 10 years now um, (sighs) or whatnot. Detective Mike Rolland. He is in the cold case unit out of Nashville. He starts reviewing the case, and he learns of the discrepancies in the DNA. So when he learns this, he goes back and he starts looking through the records. Now, mind you, this guy was convicted because he allegedly confessed to this murder, so they convinced him to take a plea deal based on a confession and this DNA. Mm -hmm. So Detective Mike Rolland... When he learns of the fact that the DNA actually did not match, Mr. Garrett goes back and he starts reviewing the records and he finds that there is no confession 
That never took place. There's no records of any confession. And he believes that the original detectives on the case convinced Mr. Garrett to plea because they convinced him that his DNA was at the scene and basically coerced him into accepting a plea deal so he wasn't found guilty at trial and sentenced to life or whatever. Was he ever given an attorney? Uh, That I do not know. The sources I was reading did not specify. I'm assuming he was. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Go on. So, Detective Mike Rollin in 2011 believes that these original detectives essentially coerced him into pleading and then said, told the DA or somebody that there was a confession and that's, that's what they put in their reports or whatever. So, the detective in 2011 brings this to the then DA, Tori Johnson. Tori Johnson's the elected district attorney in 2011. He takes the information. He has his team investigate. His investigators actually come up to the same conclusion that the DNA, that there was no confession, that the DNA matched uh, Calvin Atchison, and that uh, not Mr. Garrett. And he declines to take any further action with the case. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Why? No comment. So, fast forward to fall of 2020. Oh, my God. Fall of 2020, which was, I was going to say a couple months ago, but I guess it's, like, close to a year ago What now. is time? <laughs> it's all 2020. Detective Mike Rollin, still, 10 years later, is like, hey, so now he goes to the new DA, who is Glenn Funk, who created the Conviction Review Unit. What a cool name. Yeah. Glenn Funk. Funky. Conviction Review Unit in the State Attorney's Office, District Attorney's Office. Detective Mike Rollin says, hey, these are my findings from this case from 2000. And now, with that information, this DA is fully on board and cooperating with the Tennessee Innocence Project on clearing Mr. Garrett's name. He has been released... He's not in custody. They still have to go through the legal process of an actual exoneration. Obviously, that takes a long time, but he's not in custody anymore. And in May of 2021, they arrested Mr. Calvin Atchison for the 2000 murder. So I have not read anything that he's committed any murders in the 21 years that he's been free. Wow. Or the... 16 that he's been free after they matched the dna to him can we just take a moment thank the innocence project yeah and i mean they have very caring attorneys in both of these cases who are very passionate about what they do and thankfully we have organizations like that donate to your local innocence project because they are the passionate attorneys that are working to correct these wrongs and for the most part they're the only ones who are trying to correct these wrongs as you can see from this most recent case, like this happens all the time. Right. These just popped up on my newsfeed this week. This oh week. So God. I wanted to talk about them because we have Tennessee and we have Hawaii. These both just popped up this week. And you guys need to tell people about this. Right. Also, check out your local Innocence Project. Donate because their lawyers need all of the resources they can get. They're the only ones for the most part that are writing to correct these wrongs. I mean, in Hawaii, nobody's even returning a comment. 
That's just insane. No apology, no nothing. They didn't even tell this dude why he was being released from the state hospital that's been medicating him. And then just to think about... He needs to find him a Hawaiian Ben Crump. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Well, unfortunately, he's so traumatized that he I doesn't know, he come out of his, his house. Yeah, he's at his sister's house in Vermont, and he, like, refuses to leave the property because he's afraid that police are going to arrest him for something he didn't do. Not only that, but he also has a mental illness, and so that's now compounded by the traumatic experience he just had of being in a hospital and being accused of being somebody who's not, even though he proclaimed right. to be. God. I can't even imagine. That is, like, truly my nightmare. Yeah. So, those are my two stories. That's depressing. (laughs) I mean, the ends are good, but kind of. No. I mean, they're still working towards the ends. (sighs) Yeah, and that's not good yet. Not time that they're ever going to get back, so. Right. Just, wow. Yeah, no, that's pretty depressing. (laughs) So, we just wanted to bring that to your attention. So, if you like being depressed by us... (laughs) You can can follow us on social media, too. (laughs) Yeah, guys, please subscribe, write, review. Obviously, ratings and reviews and subscribing are what helps us get our message out. And we thank you guys for listening each week. You can contact us on all the socials via email. Amanda at GinAndJusticePodcast.com. Justine at GinAndJusticePodcast.com. And we'll see you next time on Gin and Justice. All editing for Gin and Justice done by Gin and Justice Podcast. Artwork by Justin Cardone. Photography by Kimber Schwakey. We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.